can be seated and open your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we are in our series, Hope in God. One thing that we are always assuming, and I think this is a good assumption, is that either we are in a dark place or we are very close to someone who is. Either we're in the midst of it or we have proximity to someone that is suffering right now, that is questioning, that is filled with doubt. And our series in First Peter hopefully has been an encouragement. God placed you strategically in people's lives so that you can be the person to walk with them, to walk alongside them. Do you know that there's people in your life that I will never meet? And you know that not every person in your life can you bring to church or say, hey, you need to talk to Pastor John. He'll answer all your questions. Do you know who is a missionary in your neighborhood? You are. And God is leading you to open your mouth and to speak with great boldness into the, the hurts and the heartaches of the situations that people face. And Peter, who he's speaking to the church at large, he's speaking to the church that is scattered and running for their lives he has some answers, he has some perspective to the crisis that they are facing. And maybe you're not being hunted down. Maybe you are not in threat of being persecuted or killed. But all of us are going through something. And God's Word is always speaking and meeting us right where we're at. I hope that you are getting answers along the way. And we have questions oftentimes that maybe we don't ask out loud, but have you ever asked, has there been a time in your life when you have asked this, why am I even here? Why am I here? What is this all about? What is my life all about? Is it just uh, about my to-do list and just going through the weeks and another week goes by and just going through the motions and another day? Why are you here? Well, God's people have an answer to this question, and Peter is going to get pretty fired up about our purpose, the agenda for our lives. We are here to be the people of God on mission with Jesus for His glory. We are the people of God on mission with Jesus for His glory. We can have answers as followers of Jesus. Why am I here? What is this all about? And we can know I'm on a mission, and I'm not alone. We're on a mission together as God's people. We are in partnership with Jesus. We are following Him as He is going ahead. We are following in His footsteps and we're doing all that we do for His glory. It's not even about us. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. It's not about us at all. We are not the center of attention. We're not in the limelight. It's not our show. It's not our deal. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we have purpose only when we find our purpose in Jesus alone. And so we are going to be answering hopefully a few questions along the way that deal with this topic of why are we here and what, what is God doing? Well, do we believe that God has a plan? God has a purpose and that he is successfully, believe this or not, uh, that, that his success rate 100% every time, whatever he sets out to do, he always accomplishes it every single time. Do, do you not want to be with the guy? Do you not want to follow the leader that is like, always successful like i, I want to be with him or are you gonna are you gonna bet your stakes following the crowd on a path to nowhere to a dead end to more regret i hope that we want to get on god's agenda god's plan and he's not silent about this he's about to unpack it once again in first peter 
chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse 4. We're going to take this step by step, verses 4 through 8. What is God's plan? What is God's plan? What is God planning to do? He is the architect, and he's, here's, here's our message for today, that, that hope is reconstructing. It's, it's rebuilding us. It's doing something in us. So what's his plan? What is the architect going to do? He's got a plan. Here it is. It starts with this. Number one, abide in Christ. What is God's plan? He tells each one of us, abide, abide, stay connected. Do not stray. Do not wander. You need to be locked into the source. What does verse four say? As you or in the Greek. So this was some deep study that I did. And I think I think we'll all be pretty happy about this in the Greek. It says, y'all, all right, there we go. It's there. It's in the Bible. All right, enough said. Let's pray. All right. As y'all come, and what he's saying is, as you, church, literally, as you keep on coming to him, you don't come once. You keep on coming. You keep on going to him. You keep on running to him. He says, as y'all do this, you're going to recognize that he's the living stone rejected. Everybody say rejected. He has been rejected. The living stone has been rejected by men. But in the sight of God, who is this living stone? He is the chosen and precious one. Even though everybody else says, we don't want him, we're not going to accept him. And who are we talking about here? Who's the living stone? All right, here we go. Here we go. Jesus alone is the one who is alive and at work, and even when he comes to be the helper, when he comes to be the rescuer, what do those that are in desperate need of rescue do in response? We need help, we need help, we need help. And God says, help is here, and they go, ah! We want help, but not from him. He's not what we expected. He's not what we were looking for. He is not the hope we had in our minds. This is the one that even though he's rejected by men, we as Christians would say, we keep on coming to him. Where else are we going to go? Who else is there to run to? There's no hope anywhere else. Nobody else has the rescue. Jesus, the living stone, even though he was rejected, what does God think about this rejected one? <laughs> He's chosen. He's precious. So I, I don't know if we do truth by voting. Should we be, do truth by voting? Uh, should we vote on like, what do people say? And we'll go with that. Or what does God say? And we'll, we'll go with that. Should, should we vote? There's, there's no need to vote. The vote's already in. God won people zero, right? He is the one. He is the one, though rejected, He's the one that we stay connected to. We abide in Christ. That's God's plan. Connected to Him. How about this? Be built into God's building. Be what? I, I've heard of building projects, but this, this is a little different, right? Be built into God's building. Verse 5, do you see it? You yourselves, okay? Literally, the Greek says, all y'all. There we go. There it is. There it is. All y'all like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. We are a building. Okay, this is, this is about to blow your mind. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Jeremiah, you got this. You got this. We are a building inside of a building. We're a building inside of a building. Should I say it again? I don't know if we caught that. We're a building inside of a 
building. So everywhere that God's people go, the building goes. Because it's not about the construction. It's not about the physical building. It's about God building something better, something eternal, something lasting. God is the architect. God is the construction foreman. He has a master design and he says, the design of this house is going to be people from every tongue and tribe and nation, every type of background. Even that background? Yeah. Even that color? Yes. And it's going to be a beautiful mosaic, a building of people. And so I don't know about you, but if God's master plan is building a building with people, I wonder if some things need to change inside of us about our attitude towards the beautiful stones that God is electing and choosing to be part of the house. That we're not the designer. We're not the architect. Jesus lays down His life. He's rejected for all that all could come and could be connected as a spiritual house. No solo stones, all right? No solos. It's not me, it's, it's we, right? There's a transition that takes place when we are connected to Jesus. We're now connected to his people. How about this? Be built into God's priesthood. Priesthood, okay? It's right there in the text. All right, I'm not making stuff up. We're not drawn from church history. We're not changing anything denominationally. But here we go. We have the right perspective, the correct perspective about what it means to be a priest and what the priesthood is according to the New Testament. What do we have? We are called as God's people to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the priesthood, all right? So uh, no collars necessary, okay? No wardrobe design. We are the priesthood, which means what? We don't need another person to take us to and through to access God any longer. Jesus made a way where we have access that we are little priests because of our head priest, Jesus, we now have a priest that says, you are all in. You all have access in holy priesthood. That's pretty awesome if we understand it properly. If we understand it properly. For centuries and millennia, there was a barrier. And there is no longer a barrier because Jesus took care of the barrier between us and God. Our unholiness, right? How dirty we were, how impure the reality is we needed somebody to represent us. We needed somebody to go in. We needed somebody to dare to mediate between us and God. And guess what? Jesus alone is the mediator. He alone is the first priest. And he is saying, come. Come all of you who would follow in my footsteps. You now have access. And yes, there are sacrifices to be made. Sacrifices of what? Doves? Lamb, what, what are we doing after church today? We getting the altar out? It's going to get bloody, but it's going to be bloody fun. Why is it that we don't do slaughtering and killing and we don't lay out those kind of sacrifices any longer? Because Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, as John saw Him coming, and as He longed, and as all of God's people who knew the Scriptures longed to see Him on that, that day who believed the Lamb of God, there He is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is one sacrifice, one for, for all to be able to enter in. But what does he say here? Peter, Peter, you're confusing us. All right, so is Peter the first priest in a long line of 
the priesthood and is this the beginnings of a, a certain flavor of denominationalism? No. This is a holy priesthood living a lifestyle of spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through, via Jesus. Okay, what would be some of those sacrifices? What, what would they be? What kind of sacrifices are we talking about? Uh, turn to your neighbor and ask him, what kind of sacrifices? Ask him. Ask him if they know. Do they know? Do they know? What kind of sacrifices are we talking about? You can ask me. Huh? What kind of sacrifices? What are, what are we talking about here? Well, if you need something incredibly specific and practical, let's just take a, a little survey of Scripture that talks about certain types of spiritual sacrifices. Let's start off with this. Romans 12 talks about spiritual worship and sacrifices. We see it here, if you're taking notes, offering your body. That's a sacrifice. God, I don't belong to myself. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, that you were bought with a great price, therefore you should give yourself in worship to God. Worship Him with your body. All that I am belongs to all that He is. I give myself and say, God, I'm not my own. I'm not my own. In Romans 12, I love that we can, we can do this. I appeal to you, therefore, Paul says, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, because you've been mercied by God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. What's the opposite of that? What if I'm not giving myself in this way? What would it look like? He's saying it looks like conformity to the world. And do not do that. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Transform. Ever say transformed. There's a transformation that takes place when you know that you have access and you are coming with sacrifices to God. You're being transformed by the renewal of your mind and testing. You're able to discern what's the will of God. I need to know what is good, what's acceptable, what's perfect. God gives us that as we surrender to him. He offers to us a brand new mind, a brand new life. We sacrifice that. We say, God, all that I am, it's yours. We offer our body. How about this? Praising God. Praising God. Hebrews 13, 15, as we're praising God and we're considering praise, it's through Him, through Jesus, and let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Can we pause there? Continually, always sacrificing. What am I supposed to sacrifice? What, what, what does He want from me? What does, what's the will of God? What does He want me to do? Praise. Praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And the idea of acknowledging His name is, I know what He's like and I love it. God, I love you. I see you more clearly through your word. And as I spend time with you and get to know you, praises come flowing from my mouth. That's very new, but that's the sacrifice, a sacrifice of, of praise. How about this praying? Revelation 8. I, I love the, the image. As we, think about, as we think about praying, we're not just talking about prayer in regards to praying once in a while. I just had a conversation uh, this past week with somebody and they're like, I really messed up this past week. I haven't been praying. I know I should pray every day. Didn't pray every day. Uh, prayer is not to be a guilt trip. Prayer is not to be a, a shoulda, a coulda. Prayer is to be the breath, the air that we breathe. As we're breathing, we're praying. As we're going, we're talking. And I love that we can go to Revelation 8. <laughs> this is what happens in the end, okay? We got a little glimpse. What's happening? Another angel, okay, and you can read it for yourself, the whole context. An angel came and stood at the altar with a golden bowl and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers, the prayers of who? Of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. 
Isn't that awesome? The image of sacrifice, right? On the, on the throne. God, you are worthy. We're making a sacrifice. What's in the bowl? It's the prayers of all the saints. And they're rising up to the ear of God. And He loves it. That's the sacrifice. God, I am not going to stop talking to You. You need to know everything that's on my heart. You need to know all the desires I have. I need to be able to pour out all of my hurt, all my pain, all the trouble to You. And it's an offering to God. I love that. I love that. How about this? Hebrews 13, as we look at doing good, if you're taking notes, jot that down. Doing good. Doing good. Uh, Am I supposed to make sacrifices? Yes. The sacrifice of a lifestyle is, God, you have good for me to do and I am not going to stop doing good all of my days because my lifestyle is a lifestyle of making offering to to you, God. You're worthy. You're worthy. How would I live that? Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. Everybody say sacrifices. That's one of the sacrifices. Like, God, what do you want? It's not, what do I have to do? I want to sacrifice. You are worthy of all that I am. And so God, what, what do you want of me? I want you to do good, God says. I, w- I want you to do good. Don't hold it back. Don't neglect it. Be looking around all week long. Is there good in your life that has been left undone? And that's a problem. I want to do what's good. I want to be the good for others as God's working in me. He's working through me. How about this? Bring people to Jesus. Do you, th- do you think that's a sacrifice? You think that's a sacrifice? God, what do you want me to do? What do you expect from me now that I'm following you and living according to your will? He said, you can't keep this to yourself. God is calling each one of his followers to sacrifice. And the sacrifice is not on the altar with an animal. Instead, it's going out and bringing people to Jesus. How about this? Romans 15, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Here it is. I'm not even making this stuff up. What is it like to be a minister of Jesus to serve? Well, that's what you're doing, preacher dude. No, every follower of Jesus is a minister of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We go to those that have not heard, those that have not been raised with it. We go to Gentiles. We go to those without a heritage, without a background. We go to all peoples. And I love that it's right there in the text. In the priestly service, priestly service, not even making it up, of the gospel of God. Why? Why would we do that? So that, so that the offering, there it is, the imagery, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You do your part and they will respond. Some will respond and they will do their part. We can't make them, but we go all the way with what we have to offer in the gospel in our service to God. This is the sacrifice that we that we make. And how about this? The second part of Hebrews 13, sharing your resources. Uh Uh-oh, I don't know if anybody's comfortable with this one. Everybody hold on to your pockets, grab your purses, right? Share what? Share, I'm all about sharing other people's stuff. That's great. I know really generous people. Who are the most generous people on the face of the planet? We are. God's people have experienced a generous God in ways that has blown our minds. And what do we do in response? We don't neglect to do good and we share what we have because it's calling on our life. It's a command that is a calling because we are priests that what do we do? Everything that I have, it's yours. It's yours. 
And why is it that the last thing that God gets a hold of in the life of a disciple is their bank account? Why is it that the last thing that is willing to be surrendered is money? Why is it that we're willing to give so much? I'll give resources that cost me nothing. I'll give resources that I receive from somebody else secondhand and I can pass it on. I will buy myself something brand new and I will give you my leftovers and feel really generous. And God's like, I gave you my best. You believe that? God gave me his very best. And all God is saying is, just be like me. Have my heart. Do what I've already done for you. So we don't hold back. We are not, we are not like so many that are able to give in public while we hoard in private, while we highlight what we do give, and yet God is saying, I, I want it all. I want you to be willing to give all of it. All of it. Share what you have. For such sacrifices are, let's say that together, pleasing to God. God, I just want to please you. I want to please you. Then give the stuff I gave you away. Everything that I gave you, just be willing to give it. Do good for others. Be willing to share it. And how about this? Lastly, Ephesians 5.2. All right, can somebody read Ephesians 5 for me? Ephesians 5.2. Ephesians 5.2. Do we got it? We got it? Yeah, you got it. Think about how incredible it is that we go first because Jesus went first. We are able to go ahead of others. Well, when, when they start, then I'll follow. Christians are leaders. Christians lead the way. We're not reactive. We're not responsive. We lead. We act. We are intentional. And Jesus said, I am willing because it pleases the Father. I'm willing to give my life like an offering. I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to sacrifice what is comfortable for me, Jesus says. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that this was not easy, that this was not an eager willingness. This was if, if there's any other way. If there's there's got to be another way. There's got to be another path other than to the cross. And even Jesus in all of his humanity, this is going to cost me everything. And he was still scanning the horizon for another option for a plan B. But he was able to conclude with this, not my will, but yours be done. And he didn't say that with a smile on his face. He was rupturing blood vessels and bleeding out of his pores because the sacrifice was so great. But he concluded with, I'm going to do it. And he went first, and we go, we go first. The spiritual sacrifice is not, well, when they step forward, when they meet me halfway, Jesus went all the way. And so do we. This is what we do. This is our spiritual sacrifice. My desires compared to what's good for you, I'm going to go with you. And so here's a big question. Where are you serving? Where are you living out your priestliness? Because what we would call the Bema Seat judgment, it's not the white throne judgment. We're not talking about sheep and goats. We're not talking about wheat and weeds. We're not talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about reward for believers. And on that day, He is going to present before us all of the service or lack thereof. All of the opportunities in the Spirit to be able to serve and give and to be able to live our life as a sacrifice and all of the moments of, I did it in the flesh. I did it for me. I did it to be seen. I did it to be appreciated. I did it for applause. I did it so that I would look good and I would get further ahead. 
or I saw the good to do and I didn't do anything. I assumed somebody else was going to do it. I knew what the right thing was, but it was going to cost me something. It was, that was going to be a sacrifice, and that's a big sacrifice to come to church every day, right? All the time. I got to be here all the time. Well, how about we just start with once a week and just do that every week? And what if then we said every day we're just going to open the Word and it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to get up a little earlier. And what if as you go throughout your day, you see the needs of people and you just say every day, I'm just going to meet one need that I see. I'm going to take baby steps towards starting to live as a spiritual sacrifice of giving myself and it's going to cost me something. Because on that day, and I think about it often, on that day, I'm going to give an account for what I did and did not do as a believer. And I want to hear, well done. I don't want, I don't want to see all of my so-called work go up in smoke because it was about me or there were duties neglected that God called me to. And I said, that's going to cost too much. That's going to be inconvenient for the American dream lifestyle that I'm pursuing. Are you saying that I have to give up the plastic surgery in order to tithe at church? No, thanks. I need a new car. I'm not giving the church money. We need a brand new car. No, two of them, in fact. Uh, once we get a new house and that's done, then I'll start giving to you, God. And the reality is on that day, God's like, what did you do with my money? You made it about you. And you weren't willing to sacrifice for me when it was supposed to be all about me. I don't want to live with regrets. I don't want to face Jesus on that day saying, I didn't live as a priest. I didn't live out my priestly calling. I didn't do it. I wasn't willing to. How about this? He goes on in verse 6, for us who believe, for us who believe, Jesus is the cornerstone. This is a pretty awesome image. Verse 6, he says, for it stands in Scripture, behold, behold, do we, do we know what behold means? I, I need some, some help, all right? Every time we see behold in Scripture, it means? All right, and so you know your part, okay? You know your part. Everybody ready? Got your part? Got your part? All right? For it stands in Scripture, behold, all right, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, cho here we go again, chosen and precious. This cornerstone is perfect in every way. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Anyone who believes in Jesus, the cornerstone, he is the foundation, he is the one that everyone follows from, he is the template that all of us line up to become this building that we're talking about. He's the cornerstone. For us who believe, we love him. We love that he's the cornerstone. We love that he is the head and he is the best and he is the one that we follow. He is the rule and the guideline for all that is built in Jesus' name. He is at the center. And back in the day, we would have cornerstones. We would have stones. Some of those stones, even thousands of years later, they're still perfectly in place. All of the building, every 90 degree angle, every angle is moved and worked in around the first piece, the corner stone. And around that cornerstone, if it's just a hair off, everything else is a mess. And some of these, because I'm a nerd, everybody say you're a nerd. Okay, thank you. There have been retrieved some cornerstones that have weighed up to 180 tons. One rock. Can you do the math quick? How, how many pounds is that? 180 
Come on, so, somebody help me out. 360,000 pounds. Everybody say that's a lot. That is massive. One rock, not, not a few pieced together, right? No, no super glue in this, right? We have one rock that could have taken an entire lifetime or two lifetimes just to perfect and then to get up in place so that the rest of the structure would be perfect. Well, the perfect cornerstone, the absolute perfect one says, come and keep on coming to me. Anybody that comes to me will not be put to shame. I don't know about your past. I don't know about what kind of shame you're carrying. But anybody who comes to Jesus brings with them all of their shame. And Jesus already knows it. He already sees it. He is well aware of everything that you've done in public and in private. He has all of your regrets perfectly recorded. He knows the shame that you carry every day of feeling totally worthless, totally hopeless, ready to give up and quit, that there's no hope for the future, there's no chance that you're going to live up to or live out a life that remotely looks like what you hoped it would be. And Jesus says, come. Come with all of it. Because Jesus says, I will not put you to shame. He's the shame taker. He's the shame absorber. He is not the one to remind you. He's not the one to point the finger at you. He's not the one to share it with all. He's not the one to dangle it over your head and make sure that you know your place and you know what you've done in the past and that he expects you to screw up again. He's not like that. How awesome is it that we can bring all of our mess to him and he embraces us. He doesn't say clean up, then come in. He says the only way to come to him is just as you are just like this, just like that, whatever condition you find yourself in. And I don't know if that you're still playing games with God of, well, I, I'd come to church a little bit more often and I'd probably get a little bit more involved if maybe I got some stuff you know, that I'm not proud of in my private life. I got to get that kind of cleaned up first. And Jesus is like, I'm the perfect one. You bring your mess. I'll take care of all of that. And I love that we have a God who is like Jesus. He takes all of our shame. He never puts us to shame. But what about those who don't believe? Jot this down. For those who don't believe, that, that reject the cornerstone, Jesus is the stumbling stone. He's the stumbling block. He's the he's a stumbling stone for those that do not believe. Verse 7, do you see it? Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. He's like, honor to you. I will honor you if you, if you come to me. But, everybody say but. Here we go. But for those who do not believe, for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected, there it is again, everybody say rejected, the stone the builders rejected that nobody wanted, that the uppity ups, the Bible thumpers building their own religion, they rejected the one who would become the cornerstone. And it was prophesied. They knew it was going to come. They could have seen it for themselves. How about verse 8? And, and the stone of stumbling, the stone of stumbling, everybody say stumbling. Jesus is such a stumbling stone that it's too easy. There's no way that, that I have to do nothing. I just have to believe. I just have to trust in him. I, I want to work hard. I want to be proud of my accomplishments. I don't know about the one that just says, come as you are. Trust in me and my goodness. I don't know about that. He has become a rock of offense. He's offensive to those that refuse to let go of their self-righteousness. They stumble because they, here it is, disobey the word. 
They disobey the word as they were destined to do. So if they were offended by Jesus, I, I don't know if this is going to be like a wow moment, okay? Are you ready? Can, can you handle this? If they were offended by Jesus, they're going to be offended by you. And if you're not offending people with the truth, are you telling them the truth? If you're not taking a stand for Jesus, nobody's going to be offended by you. As long as you are a chameleon, as long as you're a jellyfish just floating downstream, as long as you don't have a backbone, as long as you don't resist, as long as you just go with the flow, there, your life could be offense-free. But instead, they hated Jesus. They killed the one that came to give them life. They hated that He said He's the only way. He's the only one. He's the only righteous one. They hated that He called them to confess their sin and that He could forgive sin. And they screamed, crucify Him. And His words offended everyone. Maybe not every word all the time, but He was an equal opportunity offender. Okay? And if we represent Him and if, if we follow Him, the things that we stand for, the things that we believe, the things that we say, the things that, that we choose to do with our lives is going to be an offense. I, I don't know if that is a big shocker to you, but if they were offended by Jesus, they'll be offended by you. And if people think that, that they're good enough, Jesus would say, your sense of righteousness, that you're good apart from God, is disobedience to the Word. Because He says, repent of your righteousness. Repent of your efforts. And we say, no, that's what I'm trusting in. I am a good person. We're good people. And you say, you're disobeying the word. It's sin to think that you're someone that you're not and that your goodness somehow matches something that it doesn't. And he says, this is, this is such a struggle for so many. It's a stumbling stone. Jesus is tripping people up all the time. And he continues to this day. How about this? Number two, if you're jotting this down, verse nine, we're going to be looking at verse nine, just the beginning here as we get started. We're, all, we're almost there. We're almost there, right? Here's the question. Here's the question. Who are God's people? Who are God's people? Verse 9, but all y'all, there it is, all y'all are a chosen race. Among all the races, you're now a new race. You're a royal priesthood, right? No collar necessary. Royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're marked as a nation of people in your own nation. You are a people for his own possession. You're not your own. So what do these titles, these categories, this new identity, what does this lead us to do? Are you taking notes? We're going to do this real quick. All right, ready? Ready? Everybody say ready. If you're a chosen race, then our, our prayer is, God, humble us. If we're chosen by you and it's not our own efforts, not our own goodness, then humble us. Humble us. If we're a royal priesthood, God, use us. Is that your heart? Is that your cry? God, I'm available. Use me. I know who I am. I know the calling in my life use me. It's not about me. It's all about you. I'm available. If I'm a holy nation, if we are a holy nation, the cry of our hearts is, God, purify us. If we're called to be holy, God, help us to live a holy life that truly reflects your character. Humble us. Use us. Purify us. And if we're a people of his own possession, do you think that we forget? you think we forget once in a while? God, remind us. Remind us that we're not our own. Remind us that our agenda is going to fail. Remind us that we do not 
call on you to serve us. We serve you. You're the king. You're the boss. Remind us we're yours. And how about this? A people for mercy. Anybody in this room naturally merciful? Just always given mercy. Always incredibly, perfectly patient with every person in your life. Every single one of us is in desperate need of being changed to become merciful because we are not a people of mercy. We don't do mercy well. We receive it well. More mercy, more mercy, more mercy, more mercy. And then the moment we walk out, I don't know what your Sunday afternoon is like. We have no mercy after, after being in choich. After getting choich on, we step into a restaurant and have like zero patience for a slow waiter. Mercy received, mercy received, mercy received. That's where it stops. Everybody say that's a problem. God, change us. Change us to be like you, to be merciful as you are merciful to us. We need help because our identity has changed. And what does this new identity do? Identity fuels mission. Identity fuels mission. If I know who I am, nobody has to prod me. Nobody has to poke me. I know that we have some procrastinators in the house. We're not going to point any fingers, okay? But for some of us, it's like, why does my wife always nag me? Because you're not on mission. And she shouldn't have to nag you because you are a man on mission. Why is it that my boss always has to get on me and, and micromanage me? Because you're not on mission. You're not reflecting Jesus. People should be saying, slow down, not come on, hurry up. What are you doing with your life? We need to move out of mama's basement and we need to say, I'm on mission for Jesus. No more gaming and Cheetos. I'm on mission for Jesus, right? Nobody has to get on me. And it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if you have been a procrastinator. It doesn't matter what your past has been. If you know that this is who you are, if you believe that this is who you are, if you really, really believe this is my new identity, I don't need any other motivation because God himself is telling me this is who I am. This is who I am. I am on it every day. I'm prone to forget it, so I need to remember it. I am prone to stray, so I need friends that get me back on track. They need to point me back to, do you remember who you are? You're in Christ. You are in Christ. You're a chosen race. You're in Christ. You're a royal priesthood. You are in Christ. You're a holy nation. You are in Christ. You're a people of His own possession. You're in Christ. You are a people loving mercy, for mercy, showing mercy, because you're in Christ. God's truth leads to gospel action. The truth it leads to action. And if we say that we have faith and yet we do not live it, we're liars. We're self-deceived. And God wants to take blinders off. If we really are following Him, if we really love Him, then we live it out because we know who we are. And let's clarify one last thing. What is my purpose? If all this is true, if I know God's plan that He's building this thing called the church and that He's the cornerstone and He's putting it all together, and I know that I am part of this people, God's people, then what's the purpose of my life? And I'm glad you asked. And I hope that you can answer this all day long, every day. I know my purpose. I know my purpose. I know why I'm here. And this is one way that Peter describes, here's your purpose. What do you do with all this information? What do you do with all this beautiful truth? What do you do with it? Look at the end of verse 9. That you may proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. Here it is that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What's my purpose? In large part, I am to live it. And as I'm living all of this, 
My mouth is to proclaim. I'm a proclaimer. That's, that's what I'm called to do, to be a proclaimer all day long. I'm proclaiming it. I proclaim it with my life. I proclaim it with my lips that I was in darkness. And he put me in marvelous light. He drew me in to the marvelous light. Jesus changed everything, and I can't shut up. And May that be our stories to the end of our days. I just can't shut up. I just can't get over this. I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. I used to be in darkness. Now I'm in light. I used to run from him, and now I run to him. I used to reject him, and now I embrace him. Jesus is my everything, and I proclaim it. 